0: fourth graders today we are going to read a nonfiction story called finding the Titanic this is going to be found in your hardcover reading book starting on page 82 this is a little bit longer of a story this week as it is nonfiction and it has a lot of details and information about the Titanic as well as it follows the story of one of the passengers on the Titanic if you have ever watched the movie the Titanic um The passenger that it follows is very similar to the character of Rose in the movie, if you've ever seen the movie. So we are going to just go ahead and get started reading, starting on page 82 and 83 in your hardcover reading book. Chapter 1, August 25th, 1985. So this is like present um, when this book is written. So we're now in 1985 when they are going to discover the Titanic on the ocean floor. I went to the control center of our ship. Have you seen anything yet? I asked my team. I looked at the video screen. Nothing had appeared. We were searching for the Titanic, the most famous of all shipwrecks. The Titanic was once the largest ship in the world. It had grand rooms. It seemed like a floating palace. Some people even said the ship was unsinkable. But on its first voyage in April 1912, the Titanic hit an iceberg and sank. It was carrying over 2,000 people. Many of them died when the ship went down. I had dreamed of finding the Titanic since I was a boy. No one had seen it in almost 75 years. It lay two and a half miles down on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. This is far deeper than any diver can go. We built an underwater sled, Argo, to search for the ship. This sled took moving video pictures as it was pulled along just above the ocean floor. We watched these moving pictures on our ship's video screen. We began our search for where Titanic's lifeboats have been found by a rescue ship. For days we pulled argo along above the ocean bottom nothing appeared on our video screen but mud i wondered if the ship had been buried by an underwater mudslide i kept my eyes on the screen but i thought about the people who survived the shipwreck they told stories that will never be forgotten chapter 2 april 10 1912 so now fourth graders we are following the story of a passenger on the titanic it's so big, cried 12-year-old Ruth Becker. The huge black hull of the Titanic sat in the docks at Southampton, England. The Becker family had been living in India, now, but now Ruth's brother was ill, so Mrs. Becker decided to take her children back to America. So Mrs. Becker, Ruth, 4-year-old Marion, and 2-year-old Richard had sailed from India to England. Now they would board the Titanic for the trip to New York. Ruth could hardly wait to get on the beautiful new ship. Yellow letters on the bow proudly spelled out the name Titanic. The Titanic was the largest ship afloat. It had nine decks and was as tall as an 11-story building. You could walk for miles along its decks and passageways. The Beckers boarded the Titanic and the steward helped them find their cabin. This is just like a hotel room, Ruth said. Before the ship set sail, Ruth decided to explore. She climbed up the grand staircase. Gold-plated light fixtures hung from the ceiling. Sunlight shone through a big glass dome overhead. Ruth found the rooms of the wealthy first-class passengers. One of the doors was open. Ruth peeked inside. This room was bigger than her whole cabin. It was fancier too. Ruth stepped into an elevator near the grand staircase. She went down as far as it would go. She discovered a swimming pool and steam baths. The hallways in the lower decks of the Titanic were crowded. Families carried large trunks and suitcases. Ruth heard many different languages. These were the third class passengers. Many of them were hoping to make new lives for themselves in America. A loud whistle sounded. Ruth hurried back to her cabin. It was noon, sailing time. She and her family went onto the boat deck. Hundreds of passengers cheered as the Titanic pulled away from the dock. They waved to their friends on shore. There were even small boats waiting in the water. These boats were filled with people who wanted to see the biggest ship in the world set sail. For the first few days of the voyage, the weather was clear and the ocean was calm. The Beckers ate their meals in the second class dining room. They sat at long tables with many other passengers. On Sunday afternoon, it became very cold. Ruth sat with her mother and some of the other passengers in the lounge. We're making good speed, one man said. We might even arrive in New York early if we don't run into ice. So I hear, said Mrs. Becker. I wouldn't mind seeing an iceberg, though, he continued. I'm told they're quite a sight. Chapter 3, April 15th, 1912, 1230 a.m. Ruth, Ruth, wake up. Where am I, Ruth wondered? She rubbed her eyes. Then she remembered she was on board the Titanic. But why did her mother sound so frightened? Get out of bed and put on coats put coats on the children, her mother continued. The ship has hit an iceberg. We're supposed to go up to the deck. Now Ruth was wide awake. She got out of bed and quickly dressed Marion and Richard. The Beckers left their cabin. In their hurry, they forgot their life belts. The family joined a group of passengers waiting to be led up to the boat deck. Some of them were fully dressed. Others, like Ruth and her mother, had coats over their night clothes. It sounded just like the ship ran into gravel, one woman said. Everyone wanted to know more about what had happened. Had the iceberg made a big hole? How serious was the damage? Was water flowing into the ship? A crewman arrived and took the passengers to the lifeboats. Women and children first, people shouted. Someone lifted Marion and Richard into lifeboat number 11. That's all for this boat, an officer said. Oh, please let me go with my children, Mrs. Becker cried. A seaman helped her into the lifeboat, but Ruth was left behind. Ruth, her mother screamed, get in another boat. Ruth walked over to the next boat. May I get in, she asked an officer. He lifted her into lifeboat number 13. It was so crowded that Ruth had to stand up. Lower away, the officer shouted. The boat dropped jerkily toward the sea. Ruth looked up at hundreds of passengers still on board the Titanic. There were not enough lifeboats for all of them. Ruth's boat reached the water safely, but no one knew what to do or where to go. The passengers on board asked one of the crew to be their captain. Row toward those lights in the distance, he ordered. They might be the lights of a ship that could pick us up. Ruth looked back at the Titanic. Rockets went up from the ship, sending bursts of stars into the sky. They were distress signals calling any nearby ships to come and help. The bow of the Titanic was sinking. Ruth looked at the people still on board. They were trying to move back toward the stern. The ship's lights went out. Suddenly, there was a loud noise like thunder. The Titanic broke apart. Ruth watched people leap into the sea. The bow disappeared under the water. For a minute, the stern stood straight up in the ocean. It looked like a huge whale, Then the Titanic dove beneath the waters. Chapter 4, April 15, 1912, 3 o'clock a.m. The sea will be covered with ships tomorrow, said a crewman in Ruth's boat. They will race from all over to find us. The lifeboats from the Titanic drifted on the calm, cold ocean. The survivors tried to keep boats to, the boats together by calling out to one another in the dark. Ruth heard a rocket in the distance. She spotted a faint green light. Could it be a rescue ship? Everyone in the boat who had a scrap of paper lit a match to it. They held clo- these torches up high in the air. Maybe someone would see them. The passengers at the at the oars rowed toward the lights. As they drew closer, they could see that the lights came from a large ship. The ocean became rough. Ruth was drenched by the cold, splashing water. Finally, the lifeboat pulled alongside the rescue ship. Crewmen on board lowered lowered a swing down to the boat. Ruth's hands were too numb to grasp the ropes. Someone had to tie her into the swing. The crew pulled her up to the side of the ship. Its solid deck felt good beneath her feet. Ruth went up to the ship's open deck. Most of the lifeboats had come in, but there was no sign of her family. Then Ruth felt a tap on her shoulder. Are you Ruth Becker, a woman said. Your mother has been looking for you. She led Ruth to the second-class dining room. Mrs. Becker, Marion, and Richard threw their arms around her. Ruth's eyes filled with tears of relief. The crew of the rescue ship, the Carpathia, searched the sea for several hours, but no more survivors were found. Several days later, the Carpathia arrived in New York City Harbor. Thousands of people waited in pouring rain to greet the survivors. Ruth heard cries of joy from the people who had found their loved ones, but many others looked sad as they searched for family and friends who had drowned. Chapter five, August 31st, 1985. So now we are back to the search for the Titanic. Almost 75 years had passed since the Titanic sank, and now my team and I searched for the wreck. As each day went by, I wanted to find the lost ship more than ever. Our time was running out. We hadn't seen a single sign of the wreck, we sometimes wondered if the Titanic really did lie on the ocean floor. Late one night, Stu Harris pointed to the video screen. There's something, the sleepy crew looked at the screen. They could see pictures of man-made objects. Bingo, Stu yelled. Argo's cameras picked up a huge boiler on the ocean floor. Boilers burned coal to drive a ship's engine. This one had to be along to the Titanic. Soon we saw pieces of railing and other wreckage. At last, my dream was about to come true. The Titanic must lie nearby. Everyone was shaking hands and slapping one another on the back. Someone noticed that it was 2 a.m., close to the time that the Titanic had sunk. We were excited, but we felt sad, too. We held a few moments of silence in memory of those who had sailed on the great ship so long ago. Our first video run over the wreckage with Argo was risky. We weren't sure where the main part of the ship was. I was afraid that Argo might crash into it. All of a sudden, the huge side of the ship appeared. The Titanic was sitting upright on the ocean floor. Over the next few days, we made some important discoveries. The ship had broken in two sections. We saw large holes in the deck of the bow section where the funnels had once stood. But at the end of our trip, many mysteries still remained. What did the ship look like inside? Where was the hole made by the iceberg? And what lay scattered on the ocean floor around the wreck? Only another visit to the Titanic would tell us what we wanted to know. Chapter 6, July 13, 1986 A year later, we were ready to explore the Titanic from Elvin, our three-man submarine. I took off my shoes and climbed in. We were squeezed inside Elvin's tiny cabin. Soon we began our long fall to the ocean bottom. As we went down, it became colder and darker inside the little submarine. When Elvin reached the bottom, I peered out my window. Where was the Titanic? We could only see a short distance in the darkness of the deep ocean. The pilot turned Elvin and we glided along the ocean floor. I stared out the window. The bottom looked very strange. It seemed to slope sharply upward. My heart beat faster. Suddenly, an enormous black wall of steel loomed in front of us. It was the Titanic. The next day, we explored the bow section of the ship. The bottom part of the bow was buried in mud, but I could see the large anchors were still hanging in place. We rolled slowly up the ship's side. To my surprise, the glass in the many of the portholes was not broken. I searched for the yellow letters spelling out the name Titanic, but they were covered with rust. Elvin began to move over the forward deck of the ship. Its wooden planks had been eaten away by millions of tiny sea worms. We passed over the bridge of the ship. From here, the captain and his officers had steered the Titanic. We headed towards the grand staircase. Its big glass dome was gone. This would be the perfect place for our small robot, Jason Jr., to go inside the ship. Then we could take close-up pictures. The next morning, we landed Elvin near the opening to the grand staircase. At last, Jason Jr., or JJ, would see inside. JJ's pilot slowly guided our robot out of its little garage on the front of Alvin. JJ floated over the hole in the deck where the staircase had once been. The little robot went down into the ship, and we lost sight of it. We watched the video screen inside our submarine to see what JJ was looking at. A room appeared on the screen. Look at that chandelier, JJ's pilot exclaimed. It was one of the light fixtures, which had lit Ruth, Becker, Ruth Becker's way up the grand staircase. The metal part of the light was still bright and shiny. We explored most of the Great Wreck over the next few days. J.J. took a close-up look at the crow's nest. From here, the lookout had spotted the iceberg seconds before it hit the ship. We looked near the bow for the hole made by the iceberg, but it was covered with mud. I wondered what might lie on the ocean floor between the two parts of the wreck. When the Titanic broke in two, thousands of objects had fallen, had fell. The thousands of objects fell out. We found many of them still lying where they had fallen. It was like visiting a huge underwater museum. There were pots and pans, cups and saucers, boots, bathtubs, suitcases, and even a safe with shiny, a shiny brass candle. Before we left the Titanic, we placed two metal plaques on its decks. The one on the stern section is in memory of all the passengers who lost their lives. The plaque on the bow section asks another one, asks anyone else who visits the Titanic to leave it in peace epilogue. I was sorry when our trips to the Titanic were finished, but I was proud of what we had done. We found the ship and we took many beautiful pictures of it. People all over the world would be able to visit the wreck when they saw JJ's pictures. They would think about the people who had sailed on the Titanic, those who had lost their lives as well as the survivors. Ruth Becker and her family had been lucky. Ruth grew up to become a teacher. She married and had three children. Like many Titanic survivors, Ruth wouldn't talk about the sinking. Her children didn't even know she had been on the ship. She finally began to talk about her experience toward the end of her life. When she was 85 years old, Ruth saw pictures of the wreck on the ocean floor. When Ruth was 90, she went on her first sea voyage since Titanic. She died later that year. After our trip, another group of people went down to the, t- went down to the Titanic. They brought up many things from the wreck. The ship's telephone and the bell from the crow's nest, some nest, some china, a leather bag full of jewelry and money, and hundreds of other objects. I was very sad when I heard this. The Titanic should be left in peace as a monument to those who lost their lives on that cold, starry night so long ago. The author of our story is Robert Ballard. And Robert Ballard was the man who started the voyages to find the Titanic. And if you look at page 101, we are going to read just a little bit about our author, Robert D. Ballard. I loved Captain Nemo and Jules Burns' 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Here was a person who built his own submarine. He explored beneath the sea. I had always had this dream of being inside his ship, the Nautilus. Robert Ballard had realized his dream of becoming a deep sea explorer like the hero of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Today, Ballard works as a marine scientist, a scientist who explores and studies the ocean. Ballard has explored underwater mountains, underwater volcanoes, and shipwrecks. Since finding the Titanic in 1985, Ballard has continued to search the world's oceans. In 1999, he discovered two ancient ships that sank off the coast of Israel nearly 2,750 years ago. Ballard started the Jason Project, a program that allows students to go on science expeditions all around the world, on sea and on land. I think all kids are born explorers, Ballard said. All kids born scientists. All kids ask why. Some other books by Robert Ballard are Ghost Lines, Exploring the World's Greatest Lost Ships and The Lost Wreck of the Isis. All right, fourth graders, I would like you to just take a trip back through the book right now and take a look at all the pictures and read the captions. I know I skipped over that while I was reading the story because I hoped that you would go back and take a look at the pictures from the book and read their captions.